So today as I come and launch in, I want to talk about fighting that good fight coming through this weekend. And um, you know that the Bible says there's the good fight of faith, right? In 1 Timothy, it tells there's a good fight of faith. So there must be a bad fight. And God wants us to know that there's a good fight of faith that we are to go after and fight for the right things. And so I'm not going to go into that scripture verse, but launch out of that to what I have to say today. How many of you have ever had poison, poison ivy, poison on your skin? Come on, can I see your hands? How many of you had that? Yes. I, I remember in junior high having that uh, as well. And mom took me to the doctor to get some medicine for it. And you know, you're kind of going through it, and it's on your skin, and, um, and you, you're t- kind of talking to yourself to calm down, right? I mean, just calm down and um, uh, that you can handle it, uh, but it's irritating. Denial, you know, it doesn't itch, it doesn't itch. And then it gets to anger, doesn't it, many times? You are angry that you have this, and then bargaining. You come and you bargain this thing out. Listen, Rash, if I just gently stroke you, will you please leave me alone, you know, something like that, and then discouragement can set in and I'll never get rid of it. Just send me to the leper colony now, whatever it may be. And then you kind of come to the point of saying, you know, I just accept this thing for what it is. And what it does is it reminds me about the daily battle that you and I all go through. It reminded me that there are poisons in me and there's poisons around me. And above all, it proves that we have a battle to fight, and we can't win it on our own. But you think, man, I'm going down with this, and I know I don't have the antidote to these poisons, but I know the one who does. And that is what is so vital in our lives. And sometimes it erupts in you like a fight in your soul between your mind and your desires that come that you know in your head, you know, I shouldn't touch it, I shouldn't scratch it. Scratching only makes the poison worse, and um, you can't go a minute without doing it. You know, knowledge didn't save us at that point. Uh, pain didn't prevent us. Poison ivy, it, uh, it set in, and we say it's taking war on myself. But you know, in our world, most ailments need particular antidotes, don't they? Increasing the air pressure in your tires will not fix a bad motor. I mean, you're with me. If you're trying that one, that's the bad way, you know. Aspirin will not dissolve a tumor. Cutting up credit cards will not wipe out debt that is already owed. If your water pipes are leaking, you call a plumber, not an oncologist, right? And a plumber will not cure cancer. Any adequate solution must solve the problem that needs to be solved, and singular problems sometimes need singular solutions. Some added antidotes are just kind of one-of-a-kinds for one-of-a-kind ailments. Sometimes only medicine will do the job. Facing uh, maybe uh, mankind we know faces a, a singular problem, that people are broken in the world and uh, that we live in, and our friendship with God has been broken and ruined by human rebellion, and, and we see that, that we know that the guilt must be punished, the debt must be paid, promising better conduct in the future will not mend the crimes of the past. No, a rescuer must ransom the slaves. A kindred brother must pay the family debt. A substitute must shoulder the guilt. There is no other way of escape. I want to talk about a couple battles that you and I face on a daily basis that you and I are fighting on two fronts. Many times, the first one is our greatest battle is within us. One of the greatest preachers of all time, Charles Spurgeon, you probably heard of him, he said this, beware of no man more than of yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. A modern-day theologian named Jay-Z 
maybe you know Jay-Z. No, everybody's got a theology though, right? No, Jay-Z is not a theologian, but here's what he said. I'm losing myself. I'm stuck in the moment. I look in the mirror. My only opponent, the greatest enemy we think many times is so within us. See, most people think that the problem is only out there. Most people have resigned themselves to the fact that, that uh, of what is really going on within them, the circumstances that they are in. And you can spend your whole life trying to fix everything around you and fail to realize a very real enemy is at work within you. And I want to help you just a little bit today with this because my goal is not to come to this message and give glory to the devourer, Satan, but to give it to the Lord but sometimes we just need to look at this and look at God's word in the day-by-day life that we live is that some people are like, the devil messed up my entire week and the devil was in the vacuum cleaner. When I say to that, well, doesn't that suck, right? <laughs> Little theology for you. The devil is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. Amen? And sometimes we get that mixed up. I realize, I am not minimizing that there's a very real enemy. His name is Satan, okay? And we need to know that. But also the Bible comes and it says, you know, our own sinful nature, or the Bible refers to it as a carnal nature, that we are born into sin so the devil doesn't have to be at your house because you are. So some people get that mixed up because they're looking for the devil everywhere. But God is the only one that is omnipresent. The very voice inside of our heads can be very destructive, self-destructive, can't they? Judgmental and self-centered and critical because it's your nature that you're dealing with. It's my nature that I'm dealing with. Like Jay-Z said about looking in the mirror, that big opponent is right there. Let's talk about the inner critic for just a moment. How many of you have an inner critic? Yeah. You have an inner critic that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there is a war between our mind and our desires. The battle lines are drawn between the right thing to do and the wrong thing we do. And your mind tells you, don't get in the middle of that argument, right? And before you know it, you open your mouth, give advice, pass on the gossip, tell somebody off, right? It happens. The bills and the budget, they are screaming at you. It's Sunday and you know God wants you to come to worship, but the bed feels so good. I know who you are watching this stream. You're laying in your bed in Stephen City. You need to get out of your bed, okay? You are starting to suspect that you may be drinking too much, but after all, you say while taking another sip, I've had a hard day. You promised you wouldn't lose your temper, and we know this happens at your spouse, your kids, and now you're finding yourself apologizing again and again. The rash, the reaction is your body's response. The temptation is the oil of the poison ivy. Your response is what the Bible calls sin, that's, that's my response, right? Sin is not a popular concept today in the world that we live in. Psychologists, educators, government officials, even some pastors avoid this issue to talk about sin. Dr. Howard was a distinguished Australian minister who preached very powerfully on the subject of sin. And after a particular service, an elder came to him and said, Dr. Howard, we don't want you to talk as openly about man's sin. Call it a mistake, he said, if you will. Do, but don't speak about about sin plainly. And the minister showed him a small bottle. He said, do you, do you see that label? He asked the elder. It says strychnine underneath 
the bold letters say strychnine poison. Do you know, man, what you're asking me to do? You're suggesting that I change the label. Suppose I paste over it the words essence of peppermint. Don't you see what might happen? Someone would use it not knowing the danger involved and would certainly die. So it is, too, with the matter of sin. The milder you make your label, the more dangerous you make your poison. We treat the poison of sin as we handle poison ivy many times. We use denial. We deny it. We get angry with it, you know, and bargaining. Okay, I know this is not good for me, but I'm going to bargain with it. You know, I think I can make it through discouragement. I can't stop it. What is wrong with me? I keep doing this same thing. Acceptance. Yes, I know I have a problem, but that's just the way I am. And in Mark chapter 16, as you're turning there with me in the Gospels, this last chapter in, in Mark, that, that we have Jesus, and this is, an, a power, this is a powerful story, is that inside of Mark 16, we see Jesus came to wage war against sin. But on Good Friday, the disciples were certain he had lost the battle. Scarred, scourged, they took his limp, lifeless body down from the cross, wrapped it up in a sheet, excuse me, rolled the stone over the entrance to his tomb. Jesus lost, sin won. That was Friday, but on Sunday we know there's a different story in Mark 16, verse 9. It says, when Jesus rose early up on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country, and these returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. The disciples refused to believe Jesus won the war against sin. Who can blame them? Dead is dead. Every time a human being fights sin and death, they lose. I mean, without exemption and and sin and death, you know, we're batting a thousand here. Sin and death are the longest running winning streak in history. And that is true without one exception. The disciples should have known that the master they followed for the last three years, the one who fed thousands with the boys' lunch, the one who, who stood up and told the storm to shut up, the one who sent 2,000 deviled hams into the sea. You remember that story. And, and the one who opened blind eyes and mute mouths, who raised up the paralytic and even raised up other dead people, was the only one who could break sin and death's winning streak once and for all. And if you believe Jesus truly defeated sin today and the devil and arose from the grave, it changes the world, it changes history, it changes eternity, and it changes, most importantly, you and me. Why? Well, well, up to the cross, the only alternative for falling for temptation was fighting it. Use all of your willpower to resist it. When, the, when that temptation comes and begins and that itch becomes overpowering, just what? Grit your teeth, right? And grin and bear it. But many good Christians flex their powerful muscles. Some succeed in stopping one habit only to find it appear in another form. It's like a groundhog. Plug one hole and it surfaces somewhere else, right? But there is only one antidote to the poison of sin that is going on within us, and that is surrender. It is admitting defeat and asking Jesus to come and set us free from the power of sin. According to Greek mythology, Hercules wrestled a giant whose mother was the goddess of the earth. 
Every time Hercules got up, got the upper hand and slammed him back down to the ground, it rose up stronger. And the, the more times Hercules threw him down, the more powerful he became. Then it dawned on Hercules that the giant drew his strength from the earth. So Hercules raised the giant above his head until it weakened and died. You and I can wrestle with sin. We can try to resist it. We can scratch it. We can get into it till it turns us raw. But the only solution to stop fighting it is to lift up Jesus Christ and his power over our lives. He is the only one that is able and has defeated sin. Amen? Surrender to it immediately. We need to be free. Why? Because there's another battle that we face. And the second battle is the battle that is around us. When Jesus finally appeared, he had some pretty strong words for his doubtful disciples. But in spite of their unbelief, he wanted to send them out to fight for him. Verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. And they will place their hands on the sick and they will get well. Now, I know that part about handling snakes caught your attention like it has many other times before. But there is about 125 churches, mostly in Appalachia, that handle rattlers and copperheads during their worship services. And NPR News actually did an interview with two snake-handling pastors in Kentucky, and they said their services are just like other Christian services. Like, we sing, we preach, they said, we testify, we take up offerings, we pray for the sick, everything else like everybody else does. He says just every once in a while, snakes are handled. And the, the article also went on and mentioned that the church only has 20 members. Hmm, I wonder why, you know? Now, aren't you thankful? We are not a church that physically handles snakes. We, we don't do that, okay? No, we don't do that here. Okay, I'm sorry. That's not this church, okay? I just want you to know that. Okay, but as you look at this, I believe what Jesus is saying, the world is full of poison. I'm sending you out to fight a battle, not with the physical weapons, but with the antidote. Well, well, what is the poison in this world? Well, there is so many of them. We don't have time to listen, but there's a poison of unbelief that he was dealing with his own disciples that he deals with us. There's a poison of poverty. There's the, there's a, there's a poison of, of addiction. There is the poison of human trafficking. There's the poison of affliction on people's bodies. There's the poison of stress, and on and on and on and on it goes. But there is a battle that is raging on around us, and our world tells us what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. Down is up, up is down. The influences in us, around us, are constantly barraging us. We live in a world that has gone sideways with the lack of truth. Many are applying the wrong stuff to the poison. Many are applying human reasoning to the problems and the poisons that are going on around us. We reason with it. We think because of our good educations that we sure know the best antidote. From the first chapter of Isaiah, the prophet graphically portrays when a man rejects God's revelation and turns to his own cleverness. 
Had there been a Jerusalem Gazette in Isaiah's day, I would imagine it, its front page was not greatly different from the front page of our newspapers today. As it was with Isaiah's day, evil is called good and good evil. Darkness is substituted for light and light for darkness. Bitter is substituted for sweet and sweet for bitter. Daily we see restlessness, futile activity in our world of people who don't have God's comfort because they do not live under the shelter of the Most High so that they might enjoy the shadow of the Almighty. There's a mad rush to finding meaning and happiness without God, bombarded by spiritual, social, and moral decay. That, that, that Isaiah says in chapter 57 is a graphic picture, a constant churning like the restless sea with its waves buffeting the shore and bringing up the mire in the mud. Where is the answer? Well, well the answer is in the antidote. The, the, the only antidote to all of these poisons in the world that we live in is the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we need the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the message of healing, of wholeness, and salvation. Jesus wants us to not only have it in us, but to go out and share it like he told the disciples in his day. It's going to be a battle, but the best news is that you and I are not alone. But I want to remind you something today, that remember, if there's an absence of adversity, there is an absence of progress in your life. Are you with me? If there is an absence of adversity, there's an absence of progress. Beyond popular, popular beliefs and, and, and things that go on many times in our world, but we, we think, wow, it is all going to be easy for me. It's all going to be easy when I come into Christ, but know that there is adversity. There's adversity, but know that in the adversity, as you go along and you follow Christ, there will be progression in Christ. Verse 19, he said, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and when he, then he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. See, see, the Lord is watching over you. And the power of the Holy Spirit is working through you. That is his job. In you, through you. In Jesus Christ, we are called to be the carriers of the antidote to a lost world. And I think sometimes we miss that point that we just think, oh, it's only in Jesus, only in his day. But no, we are carriers of the antidote to a lost world. You know, Jesus is not much as a, of a teacher as he is our rescuer. Amen? Oh, he is a teacher. He is the best teacher ever. That's why they, he's the master rabbi. He is the master teacher. But, but more importantly than that first is that he is our rescuer. Because why? Because that is what we needed the most. Amen? Nothing in what we do can save us. Jesus did what we could not do ourselves. His death on the cross made us right with God, and we have to accept the antidote to that inside of our life and live it. It's amazing, isn't it, that to produce anti-venom from an actual snake bite, to help those that have been bitten by a venomous snake, they must introduce the venom in small amounts to the human body into the blood. You've probably heard me say this before. Uh, my uncle was used uh, in Arizona that uh, his, his blood was used as anti-venom. And um, his pets were venomous snakes in his house that he got out and he played with them. Now, I'm, I'm not 
telling you a lie. This is that. He had cages for them at night. He would throw them in. He would play with them. That was just uh, his mode of operation. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is nuts. Wow. Some of you are like, man, I thought I had a crazy uncle. Yeah. His blood was used as a remedy to help others. They would literally call him and say, somebody has been, uh, been by a snake. We need you to come in and use your blood as antivenom. Sin has been introduced into humanity from our first parents. But sin doesn't get the last word. Sin does not get the last word. In a world that is crying out for help, that Jesus is the answer. And you and I, if you're a believer in this room, are carriers of the antidote. We, we are carriers of the hope of Jesus Christ to others that have been bitten. In Galatians 1.14, it tells us because of Christ's death, we have been rescued from the power of this present age. There is hope. There is hope. Sin is the antithesis to the cross of Jesus. And if you are being conquered by sin today, I want you to know this. God is not against you. He is against the sin that is in your life. Amen? God is not against you. He is for you. But he is against the sin that is in you. Jesus is greater than whatever it is that you are facing today. The victory is already here, right? We just need to have the Spirit of God infuse us with the reality of that amazing truth. I mean, that's an amazing job of the Holy Spirit, that he would infuse us with the reality of that amazing truth of God's Word. Once again, Paul didn't describe Jesus at first as a teacher, though he was a great teacher. He said, no, no, no. He did not describe Jesus as a social change agent, though he was. Paul described Jesus as a rescuer. Jesus, our Savior, came to rescue you and me from the power of this present age. So many times we're treating the problem with things that can't heal, rescue, and deliver us from the sins of our heart. We're treating it with many other things that we think will work, but they won't because their power is not greater. That's why 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says, greater is he, he who is in you than he that is in the what? World, present age. That you don't need to be enslaved any longer. You don't. Even though we see so much devastation, do not despair, Right? Even though we live in a world that has gone sideways and truth is being trampled under the feet of men and women, do not despair. Amen? In Isaiah 46, 8 through 11, he already gives the answer way back in the Old Testament as he's looking forward. He says, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. He said, for I am God. And there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all of my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it and surely I will do this. 
The answer comes through the prophet Isaiah that is speaking through the ages and to us today. He's saying, don't despair. I've seen my son Jesus that is stronger than the poison of the devourer that would try to come and kill you. So what, is, what am I saying? The application is in the application. So many people are like, well, well wait a minute. What's the application from that message? The application is in the application. You must apply it to work in your life. Jesus shed his blood on the cross whether we want to say yes to it or not. We have to say in our own hearts, through our own wills, that yes, I believe that you did this and you are the antidote, but you must apply it. You must have an application in your life just like the children of Israel did in the Old Testament that put the blood over their doorposts, they had to apply it for God to do something mighty. See, Jesus shed his blood. You have to apply it. Jesus works. Are are you ready to apply the life-changing power of the blood of Jesus to your sin? You apply the antidote. You have to to do this to to counteract the, the, the poison in the world that is around you. And so, you, you have to apply the word. And I don't know about you, but I need multiple doses of God's word throughout the day. Right? Healthy doses of God's word, knowing the enemy's lethal doses are working around us and in us constantly. We need healthy doses of the word of God that come alive in us and grip us to help us counteract the poison in this world. Also, worship. Listen, you will worship and praise to the degree of hell that has come against you. Did you hear me? So for me, worship is not just sitting there, crossing my arms. It is war. It is a battle. But it is in that moment that you have to praise and worship the Lord According to the degree of hell that has come against your life. Come on, it's way out there. It's at the tip of the spear coming into worship. That's all throughout the Bible. That's what they did before they mobilized into battle. Let's get the praise and worshipers out front and get ready as we move into this and counteract this. When all these disciples of Jesus truly go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation, they apply the antidote of Jesus Christ to stop the poison. It's a long journey, and there's a lot of poison. But don't sit, don't stop, don't stand still. He said, go, go. In John chapter 3, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verses 14 through 15, you see that in John 3, 16. Jesus is sending Nicodemus back to familiar territory in his mind and growing up. He sent him back to the Torah. He sent him back to Numbers chapter 21, when inside of there he told Moses, Lift up that brazen serpent. He said, look, lift it up. There is venom, there is problems. He said, but you have to lift it up. 
He's telling him in this portion of scripture, you have to go and you have to look back because he's telling him to look back. He says, you know what? In through there, you see it all through the word of the Lord that it all falls in line, that that was just a picture of what was to come in Jesus. Lift that up. That God provided the antidote through the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. And on that day, we read that some looked and believed, others looked and turned away. My uncle, his name is Bud, he's my dad's uh, older brother that I just talked about a moment ago, whose blood was used for antivenom. And some of you have heard me say this before, but I brought this just to, I felt strong in my spirit to talk about this again today is that, uh, you know, my uncle, my uncle Bud, um, he really rejected God. Um, that uh, my father and him were very close as brothers, but also they partied hardy growing up. Did a lot of things they shouldn't have done. But I will tell you through it, my dad, you know, he came to the Lord. He found Christ, and his older brother Bud said, I, I want nothing to do with your God. And he rejected God. He really rejected my dad. Oh, yeah, they loved each other, but the relationship was different. Things had changed. And my father's heart was saddened about that for years. I talked to him about it and how it hurt him. And he wanted uh, my uncle to know the Lord, his brother. But it was in the early 80s that uh, my uncle... But he, uh, he got a new venomous snake. And at that time, um, it was new to him. He had not handled it. It was a, uh, about a six-foot albino rattler. Didn't know it very well, but he's handling this to try to get it used of him. And it was in that moment that he is handling a snake that that six-foot albino albino rattler struck him twice as he was sitting at his kitchen table sitting on that chair the albino rattler struck him like lightning nobody was in the house at the time but my uncle he picked up the phone called his neighbor who always come over before and my uncle said hey I need your help I've been I've been bitten by uh, my newest snake and he said, I need you to come over uh, and get me. And he said, I need to go to the hospital. By the time the neighbor had made it over and into uh, my uncle's house, that my uncle had already had the death rattle lying on the floor in his kitchen. And they called the ambulance. And before my uncle made it to the hospital, he died. I wish that he knew the Lord. I can't say that he did. Um, I didn't know him well, but it doesn't matter. He's my uncle. I don't know what he did that last few moments when he was sitting and lying on the ground. I don't know. I hope, I pray that he remembered Jesus. There are 
people in here that are playing with lethal, lethal doses of sin. And you're playing with things that, sir, ma'am, or young person, that if you get struck by this, it has the power to take you out. We think that we can cure it by our good ways, by our clever thinking. Isaiah says, no, no, you, you can't. You, you, you need a Savior. You need Jesus. Some of you are handling things right now in your life you think are fun. And let me tell you something. Sin is lethal. This isn't a popular message. I'm just telling you flat out. But I, I give it today and Ask the Lord a number of times this week, God, do you really want me to talk about this? Yes, I couldn't get out from under. It's one of them ones where God just pinches you and says, you have to. Because I'm not sure who it's for, but I, I just want to share with you today that as you are struggling, you're going through whatever you're going through, that you can't play with this sin because it will take you out. It's not if, it's when. And so... We can do like they did in the Old Testament. You can look and live or you can look and leave because we get the choice. That's why Isaiah says, you know, there, there is no God apart from God. Turn to me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none other. There is none other. What am I saying? Keep your focus fixed today. Keep your focus fixed. One of the most important and difficult issues for how well we keep our eyes on the truth of Jesus through Scripture. Keep your heart and your mind focused on them is absolutely essential, not an option. And so as you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18, it says this, so what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus. Not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is absolutely eternal through Jesus Christ. And so today I come and I'm a carrier of a burden that I don't carry alone, but I carry with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that knowing this, that every person in here has a family tree. You have a biological tree and we are a, a products of that from our first parents, Adam and Eve, to our grandparents, our, our, our aunts and our uncles, uh, and, and, our, and our parents now. But so many people look at that, they think, well, how am I ever going to get freedom? I mean, just look at my family tree. I mean, it is so messed up. But, but let me tell you this, that your biological family does not have the last word on your destiny. Your spiritual lineage speaks to you, your eternity. Amen? Your spiritual lineage speaks to your eternity. It has everything to do with that. So what am I saying? You need to get Jesus into your family tree. You, you need to get the hope of Jesus inside of your family tree. Get it there. You need to get it. You gotta, that, the application is in the application. You have to apply this thing to get it into your life. And not only that, you, we have to live it. So my heart today is burdened, as I come and I said the, to the first service, my heart is burdened for families that are here that, that, that just seem like things are so far gone, so messed up. I hope you heard this word today that Jesus is the antidote to your problems. 
Amen? Come on, if you're reading things that are not Christ-like, if you're reading things that are, you're just trying to find a way through this and detours, it's not going to work. you got to get Jesus inside of your family tree, and you need to live it that way because we need his help. We need Jesus in our families. We need them there. Who cares what the world is doing? There's a remnant of people that is left in this land to do the work of his kingdom that will live free because they know the antidote has been applied through Jesus Christ. That he has counteracted the sin that has tried to come to defeat.